avoided them. <laughs> okay, but thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. And if you'd like to introduce yourself, um, just a quick background of who you are, where you're from, and then how you ended up in Paris, although that might not be too quick because that's a lifetime of experiences there, but just uh, an introduction. Sure, happy to. So my name is Monique Wells. Um, I am a native of Houston, Texas, and I moved to Paris, France in 1992, celebrated my 28th anniversary here in June. And I am a person of, um, let's say, multiple talents and have multiple professional activities. Um, I am the, the, the position that brought me here, or rather the field of work that brought me here was veterinary pathology and toxicology. And I came here to work for a drug company um, that was a merger between a big French drug company and a smaller American drug company. And I worked there for a few years. And then I went to work for L'Oreal Cosmetics in the same field. And then after three years, I took a sabbatical to start a business. And I've been on my own ever since. So that's one thing that I do. My husband and I, my husband is also American. And he came here uh, with me. We actually got married here. <clears throat> and um, past all the iterations of his professional um, uh, career, we started a business called Entree to Black Paris in 1999, and we are still going strong. Well, actually, I, let me take that back. We started a business called Discover Paris in 1999, and uh, the, the whole tagline was um, Discover <clears throat> Paris Personalized Itineraries for Independent Travelers, and we built and built and built on that. The idea being that um, we would create personalized guidebooks for our clients. We never saw our clients. Everything was written out and everything was completely 100% based upon the interest that the client expressed. So I'll give you a, a brief example. We had um, a woman who wrote to us. It was going to be a, her family of four, herself, her husband, and her two pre-teenage kids. And she wanted her children to do science-based activities. And she wanted, her, for herself, she wanted to do photography. And she wanted to find all the bakeries that had the meilleur baguette in Paris. So, you know, there was no mention of let's go to the Eiffel Tower. There was, you know, none of that. And so we just created an itinerary based on that. So that just gives you an idea. Um, fast forward to the second Gulf War. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that the second Gulf War was not causative, but it was just um, it seemed like it was a tipping point. Shortly thereafter, people stopped requesting these kinds of itineraries and they would just they wouldn't fill out our questionnaire anymore. They would just email us and say, uh, we want to. Can you guide us? We want to do X. Can you guide us? So after we figured out that that wasn't just a fluke. Um, we changed our business model and we started doing guided tours. Now, all along the way, uh, because I'm an African-American woman, I had always known that um, when African-Americans travel, they are looking for something about a black experience wherever they go. It may not be the only thing they're interested in. Often it's not the only thing, but but it is definitely a component. And so when we were doing the, the self-guided itineraries, um, I wrote up four sort of core 
itineraries for African-Americans so that they could still, even though it was pre-written, depending on uh, um, loosely what their interests were, we could um, support them. So there was a, a tour on Black Paris after World War II, which focused mostly on writers who came here you know, in the in the aftermath of the Second World War. We have one um, called uh, Montparnasse, the Artist's World, which focused on artists who were here in, well, actually from the beginning of the 20th century through like the 60s. Um, and then we had a couple of others as well. So when people started asking us to guide them, then I started doing these tours myself and develop more and more of them. So now we um, we have actually 13 guided walks on this topic. And because it became more and more of a trend, we, we, we received fewer and fewer sort of general requests for tours and more and more um, Black Paris tours. That's when we rebranded and we renamed ourselves Entree to Black Paris. So that was a couple of years ago. Wow, that's really interesting. And also, just a side note, I was reading the news yesterday, and and I think on Saturday that there was a there was a statue reveal for the uh, I don't know in which in which arrondissement or which square, but it was one of the first um, statues of a slave in, to commemorate I think her fight in in the French Revolution, or that's actually inaccurate, but it was to commemorate one of her fights. Oh, it was in Guadeloupe, her fight to overthrow in Guadeloupe. And they unveiled the statue here on Saturday. And it was really interesting because I was reading through the, the information and, and what it meant and all that. And then it said the only other black woman who is in Paris is Josephine Baker as a statue. And so I started reading into that and then I saw the name Monique and I was like, wait, I feel like that's who I'm talking to, right? And it yeah. was that, and, and then it was Discover, and I was like, "This is really interesting." Like, what is? I then got really excited because I was like, "Josephine Baker is incredible," and this is insane that you were a part of that movement. If you're able to tell a little bit about that, okay. So this is very interesting to me because number one. As far as I know, there is no statue of Josephine Baker here. There are lots of other things, but there is no statue. There is a statue of her um, in her um, on the land that she owned in the south of France, in the Dordogne. There's a, a Josephine Baker like park, and then there's the the mansion where she lived, Les Milandes, which is a museum now in her honor, etc. There is a, a, a statue, a sculpture there, but. Uh, as far as I know, there is none here, and and I think I would know. There's a, there, yeah. there's a I trust you on that. <laughs> okay, and so then for the woman um, in Guadalupe, I was not aware that there was a statue unveiling. I would really like to know where that happened. Is the woman's name? Um, God, that was just flown right out of my head. Solitude. Yes. Okay. Yes, that was it. Okay, so if there is a statue. I definitely want to know where that is. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to that's, find the information. Yeah. Because are you sure that it's in Paris? Um, I'd like to say yes, but I'm now questioning everything. Okay. <laughs> because I I just saw, because I had been in a, in a conversation with like, um, somebody the night before about how he, when he visited Vietnam, it was the first time he'd ever come upon um, a woman's, 
museum and he's like there's none of that kind in Paris and then I was reading I was like this is really interesting it's I just had never even thought of that kind of world and that kind of information and then I read this but I saw your name attached to Josephine Baker <laughs> mm-hmm. okay okay <laughs> well so why would my name be attached to Josephine Baker probably well for one thing um there is a film that was just released on Friday called Myth of a Colorblind France, and I'm in that film. And the image that advertises the the, the production, it's a documentary, um, the, the, the main focus of that image that, that um, promotes this film is of Josephine Baker in her banana skirt. And I have, uh, we've created three walks that honor Josephine at Entree to Black Paris, so that could be a reason. We do one out in Le Vésinet, which is where her beautiful property, Le Beauchesne, um, uh, was located. It's, I mean, Le Beauchesne is still there, obviously. It's no longer in the Baker family. Um, and we have two others in Paris, one called the Black Pearl Walk and another, which is not really named after her, but which focuses largely on her. And that is a walk um, in and around the Champs-Élysées. Okay, so I just found it because I wanted I want to make sure this is all accurate, so I don't give anybody <laughs> false portrayals or anything like that. But uh, Paris Mayor has announced plans to build the capital's first statue of a black woman who fought for the liberation of slaves on the Caribbean island of Guadeloupe. And so on Saturday, the city hall inaugurated a park in honor of the woman. So it, the statue wasn't there yet, but the park was was created, and then they're building the statue. Okay, and so where is it? It is, um, and you're correct. It was her name was Swab, uh, Solitude, and this is really interesting. It doesn't actually say. It just says a park in Paris named after the iconic woman. I d- this one doesn't say, but I'm sure that if with more searching, I'll be able to find where it will be erected. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, but for some reason, the article I'd read before had then attached it to Josephine Baker, which I guess for the statue was false. But the it, it showed, you know, the the part or the name Josephine Baker, and then what she did under as one of the sidewalks, and it was really interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, and nice. that was just a side note, but. <laughs> <laughs> It was really cool because it was in the article, your name was included as someone who fought for Josephine Baker to be included. And it, it, I will have to find that article. Yeah. (laughs) This one's changed. But I was like, this is Monique and it, but it mentioned discover as opposed to entree to black Paris. Okay. So it must've been pre your rebranding. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I will be very interested to see that. Very, very interested. Okay. <laughs> it's good, whatever. It's good. People are talking about me and talking about it. us, you know, talking about the work because, you know, um, well, there are some people who are just really, it's sort of second nature for them to just promote themselves and everything. And um, I'm, I'm just, it's part of business for sure, but it's not second nature to me. And so mm-hmm. it's always good to know you know, that people are recognizing your work and, um, cause I'm not, I'm definitely not keeping track of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll have to, I'll find it then and send it to you. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, but so we're switching back to trade to the rebranding and and what, how that ended up happening. And so, did you you found that when you were doing Discover and when you were working in that field and just creating very personalized, were you finding that a lot of people specifically wanted to understand? the black experience and history and all that stuff here. And did you find that being uh, in higher numbers than anyone else you had interacted with? Like that was being requested and asked for and sought after more than anything else. And then is that how you entered into Entree to Black Paris specifically? Yes, that's exactly why. Okay. That's incredible though. I love, I like that. It's incredible that there is an option and then people really recognize it and went for it. Yeah. So you started Entree to Black Paris. When, what year was the rebrand happen? I want to say, see, everything is just such a blur with time. <laughs> I want to say either late 2018 or early 2019. It, it hasn't been that long, but we are almost the end of 2020 now. So it's getting to be a bit longer. Um but it, it really, it's not, it wasn't five years ago, for example. It's, yeah. um, but five years ago, we were, it was very obvious to us that this was like 99% of what we were being asked to do. We also do um, some culinary stuff because I have a, I've always had a, a love of, of food as a way to explore culture. And um, I wrote a cookbook years ago that was actually published in French before it it was published in English, and uh, master uh, French chef Alain Ducasse took my manuscript to his publisher and asked them to publish it. And so we've always done a, a little bit of culinary, you know, but um, Black Paris has definitely been the, the the thrust of our business for several years. Yeah, and but the fact that it's only been about two years, probably less since you've been since you switched from being kind of an outside role of just creating content to now being embedded in the entire experience mm-hmm. of walking with them and being a part of the and telling the history and taking questions and just being a part of it what was that switch like from being kind of behind the computer and being personalized to suddenly being amongst people who are so curious and thirsty for this information Oh, it's a big pleasure on the one hand, um, but I am an introvert, so it does take, it, I love doing the walks, but I'm just thoroughly, thoroughly exhausted afterward. And it's not because the walks are strenuous. I don't want anybody to get a, a misimpression a mis- of that, a false impression of that. But um, it just, because the interactions are so rich, um, I, I'm just, I go home and I'm just like, whew, you know, um, I, I have to recover after. And, and the other thing that I will say is that because I do so many other things, so we, I haven't talked to you about the other professional activities that I have. Um, but because my, my calendar is so just full of so many things, the walks that I do, have to be booked well, well in advance. And um, it's a price per tour as opposed to a price per person. 
So if you're one person, you will pay the same as if you are a group of 15. Now, my husband, uh, several years ago, don't ask me how many, because time is a blur, um, was asked, I, I, was, I was away. I used to travel quite a bit, and I was away, and a woman contacted us, again, you know, not filling out our questionnaire, but contacted us and said, I'm going to be in Paris for a couple of days. I'm, on, I'm here on business or will be there on business. I have exactly one hour um, and I would like to experience Black Paris. And so he said, okay, give me a little time. He said, where are you staying? Because remember we were, when we were writing our um, personalized itineraries, they would leave from the person's hotel room. So it would be like really step-by-step you go out of the hotel, you turn left, and, and you proceed on to whatever. So he's like, where are you staying? She said, I'm, I'm staying across the street from the Luxembourg Garden. And he said, okay, I will put together a walk for you for an hour that has black history in the Luxembourg Garden. And he did that. And she loved it. And he said to me when I got back, he's like, okay, you know, we need to we need to put this walk into our itinerary, our, our list of, of things that we offer. And um, then it grew into a two-hour walk. And that walk, he does because he created it. And that walk you can sign up for online. So normally we're offering it three times a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays in the morning. And up to 48 hours before the scheduled walk, you can go online and you can pay online and, you know, just you can sign up. So then, so that was the only walk that we had for a long time where you could, well, it actually still is the only walk that we have that you can sign up for online. All the other walks revolve around my schedule and we fit them in as we can. So this walk became so popular that... Um, I decided I needed to do a second walk because the Luxembourg Garden is actually my favorite place in Paris anyway. And as we learn more about things that happen in and around the garden, I was learning more and more about women who, you know, women in general, historically speaking, you don't hear a lot about them. And I was just finding out these little tidbits here and there. And I thought, you know, there's enough here that I can put together a walk that's woman focused on the Luxembourg Garden, black women focused. And um, I did that. And that's also a private tour. So you still have to book that one well in advance. But um, it actually there's actually very little overlap between the walk that my husband does, which is 90 minutes and the walk that I do, which is two hours. That's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible, especially because you're right. I feel there's the fact that 90 minutes, two hours, and you might not even be going to the full depth. You know, you're touching something that's very common in history of the fact that there's so many stories that are pushed to the side that have so much depth and importance to them. And all we hear about is King Louis or <laughs> Marie Antoinette and it's and even sometimes her story isn't even correct you know it's there's misinformation and and it's there's no depth especially to people who are often marginalized in these kinds of stories yeah 
So that's absolutely incredible that, and there's no interlap and, oh, wow. That's awesome. Very little, very little, very little. Yeah. Yeah. And so now that you're a part and now that you, you've experienced the feedback for the discover where it was personalized, but you were without them and to now. So how, what's an often an interaction like for you guys with, with people? Uh, Is there, is there a common reaction? Are they shocked that there's as much history that they haven't heard about? Are they proud? Like what's a common reaction that you have from people who join the walks? People are always, I don't know if I would say shocked, but they're, they're looking for confirmation of things that they they've heard. So Um, for a long time, I've done um, a presentation to study abroad groups and others called Black Paris and the Myth of a Colorblind France. And so they want to explore that myth, basically. And um, there are a lot of nuances to it. And so we're often, you know, diving into that topic. And then the other thing that they're surprised about often is that there are just so many people because they've heard of Josephine Baker. I think everybody has. They have heard of perhaps uh, Richard Wright. More people have even heard of James Baldwin than Richard Wright. But beyond that, it's just like, well, but who else was there really? And then you just bring out this whole host of people and they're like, oh my God, you know? So um, the history is definitely broad and it is rich. And then for um, African-Americans, there is also this idea of, which is, you know, it's part and parcel of the whole racist construct of the United States. Um, This whole concept of one drop of black blood makes you a black person and you're treated accordingly. And when they, when African-Americans step off of U.S. soil, that doesn't exist anymore. And it's it can be very, um, it can actually be very disorienting because they encounter Black people elsewhere and it's just totally different. It's almost as though they don't see you as a Black person. You know, the way that in, in your mind, you see yourself. And so you assume that everybody else that's black sees you as a black person and, you know, you see them as a black person. But because they come from somewhere else, they have a different history, they have a different culture. That's not what it's about at all. And so it's and so they're like, well, you know, I saw this black person and they didn't speak to me. And I'm like, well, no one is going to speak to you. That's just not the way that they do things here. It has nothing to do with you being black or not, you know, it's just, it's a different cultural construct. And so it's eye opening for a lot of people. It's refreshing for some people. It's very disorienting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think also really, I think something that sometimes when you go to a a cultural and intercultural city like Paris, it is kind of a, a shock where you're like, Oh, this it's just different, and and until you leave the states, you don't quite realize that that's even the case anywhere else because you are so narrow, you are so narrow minded in a way of mm-hmm. you have no other interactions with people, and then you mm-hmm. come here and you're like, oh, <laughs> it's just so vastly different. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have a favorite story? 
of Black Paris that is often unheard or untalked, not talked about, and and as in your favorite of what you find or you resonate with the most. Well, yes. Yeah, so my favorite, my actually my favorite story about Black Paris is about an individual. Um, his name is Buford Delaney, and he was an artist. He was a mentor of James Baldwin. He came to Paris in 1953, uh, and he lived here the rest of his life. He died here in 1979, and he died after spending four years in a mental hospital in Paris, and he was buried in a grave in a cemetery called Thiers. Thiers is a town in the south of, of Paris. Um, you can get to it on the tram line. It's not that far, but you know, it's a, it's a suburb of Paris. But the, the cemetery there is part of the Paris cemetery system, if you will. And he was buried in an unmarked grave. And I was writing an article many years ago, 2009 to be exact, about grave sites of quote unquote famous African-Americans in and around Paris. And I wanted to include Buford Delaney, not because I knew anything about him, but because he was a dear friend and a very, very strong influence on James Baldwin. So I did happen to know um, a person who knew Buford Delaney personally, and I asked him if he could tell me where the gravesite was. And he was quite advanced in years, and he lived in the UK at that time, and he couldn't quite remember. He said, but, you know, I, I've been there. He said, let me contact the people who I did the visit with, and I'll get back to you. So he did that, and he um, he told me, he said, Buford is at TA Cemetery. He gave me the division. He gave me the coordinates of the grave. And he said, is, is he still buried there? And I said, well, why would he not be buried there anymore? And he said, well, don't you know, in France, you don't keep your grave forever. You have to keep paying for it. And, um, or someone, not you personally, the deceased, but someone has to keep paying for that space for you, or they can remove your remains from that space and give it to somebody else. And this was shocking to me. And I think, you know, most Americans, that would be shocking to them. Um, and so I said, okay. So, you know, I went out to the cemetery and I inquired and was told, yes, this grave is intact. Um, and I said, you know, I'm writing a story and these friends of his have instructed me to come out here and they would like to know, you know, is the grave intact? And, and um, when, if it is, when is the date for the exhumation? So they were very reticent to tell me anything because I wasn't family. If I heard that once, I heard it like 25 times. Um, so I said, okay, I get it. I'm just here to write it. You know, I'm just trying to do my research for my article. And I went out to the division and walking by all of these really splendid, beautiful divisions. And then some were just sort of ordinary. And when I get to his division, it was, it was horribly unkempt. It looked like it was half empty. The stones were all decrepit. The weeds were high. They were high as my knees, literally. And it looked like the, the division was half empty. And no one had told me that there was no stone at his grave. So I had this row, you know, the coordinates, they do 
the division, the row, and then the tomb spa uh, space. There's no sign in any of the divisions that say this is row one. So, and there's no sign that says this is plot one. So you just have to, if you've never been there before, you know, you have to, you have to be there with someone who knows. So, and I'm just bewildered and I, my heart is beating because I'm like this, this is not good. You know, this, this looks horrible and I couldn't figure anything out. And so I saw these guards, they came they were just walking, you know, doing their rounds. And I said, please help me. I said, I don't understand how your cemetery works. Um, these are the coordinates of the grave I'm trying to find. And they each came. They were very nice. They each came and, and they said, OK, madame, this is row one. So you want row two. So it's right here. And then they proceeded to walk off, taste off the, the tomb spot, spots. And they both independently came to a space that was unmarked. And they said, this is it. And I, so I said, okay, I took some pictures. <clears throat> I thanked them. I took some pictures. And in this space, there was this little flower arrangement. It was ceramic and it was, you know, just barely visible through the weeds. I took the photograph and I went back and I told everybody that told the friends of Buford Delaney that this is what I saw, that he is still in the ground and that he is going to be exhumed this year. This was in September. And they and they won't tell me when. So they were like, oh, my goodness. So he's still there. So perhaps we can pay the money to prevent the exhumation. So can you find out about this? So none of his friends are in Paris. None of them are in France. One man in the UK and a couple of people in the US. So but they were very excited and they said, can you find out if we can pay the money? So I go back and, you know, and, and in gathering this information, they're telling me why Buford Delaney means so much to them. And I'm learning more about him. And so this is starting to become personal to me, especially because I, I went out there in the first place and the, the, the conditions were just so horrible. So finally, I'll make a long story short. Um, they were able to the, I had to petition the cemetery because I'm not family and none of the people who were asking were family. We petitioned and they allowed us to pay the money. So the friends sent me the money. It was less than 300 euros. They sent me the money. I submitted it and they said, okay, his grave will be intact for another um, 10 years. The original, they call it a concession. The original concession was for six years. He died in 1979, so somebody should have paid in 1985. I'm coming along in 2009, okay? <laughs> he's still there. He's still there, and I'm sure it's because he was in a pauper's division, because nobody cared about that division. If it had been in one of those splendid divisions and nobody had paid, he would have been gone a long time ago. So that was the first of many, 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 many Buford Delaney miracles. So I was allowed to pay. The grave was kept intact. And then the friends were so ecstatic that they said, we want to place a stone at the tomb. Can you find out for us how much it would cost and what the procedure is? And instead of just a few hundred euros, that was going to be a few thousand. So I founded a French nonprofit called the Les Amis de Buford Delaney to raise the money for that stone. And we raised the money. We were successful. We laid the stone in 2010. 
we had a ceremony in October, um, which was, um, and then we had a reception at the building that the U.S. consulate used to be in. And, you know, that was, uh, that space was offered to us by the, the embassy. And um, we, that was the beginning of a very long story about my relationship with Buford Delaney. And I started a U.S. nonprofit called the Wells International Foundation to further honor him by doing a solo exhibition of his work in Paris. And we did that in 2016. And it's just been blossoming ever since. That's incredible. I, it's, it is incredible also because of it was, you know, a story that you were writing that turned into so much more mm-hmm. and so personal. And you came in contact with people whose lives had been personally affected. And then and then you, it turns into t- people around the world whose lives have been affected by one single man. Yes. And now you're you're part of that story. And that is really, really incredible. Yeah. So that's the that's the my favorite un, sort of well I'm telling it but you know it's not generally known. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So just to wrap it up a little bit although I think that you like you probably have so many stories and so many incredible insights that I someone could probably pick your mind all day and it would be <laughs> just awesome. But what do you want people to know about on China Black Paris? Like, what do you want to put out and and to say about this organization for other people? I want to say that um, what our mission is and what, what our mission is, is to inform and inspire people by these stories of African-Americans and people of the larger African diaspora in Paris and how much our history, our culture, and our contemporary life is interwoven into the Paris landscape. It is absolutely incredible. It is mind-blowing. And um, I believe my vision is that through sharing these stories, we will be able to do our bit to bring the world a little bit closer together, to to, um, foster a cultural understanding and hopefully to break down some of these very, very false barriers that we have erected around the world because of race. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to hearing everything about the rest of Entree the Black Paris and seeing what it's like more, especially as I see all these articles with your name pop up <laughs> just randomly. Ooh, wonderful. It's, yeah. been a, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me to be on yeah. your podcast and I'm happy to come back. Yes. Oh, definitely. Thank you. Okay.